one verse of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, and it simply says, <coughs> pray without ceasing. <laughs> pray without ceasing. We're entering into Labor Day. Of all the holidays that we celebrate in America, I really think that Labor Day is one of the strangest one of all of them, if you really think about it. If you stop and think about it, while we call it Labor Day, we try to labor as little as possible on that day. And so much of the American workforce will not be working tomorrow at all. I also believe that I don't recall anybody today uh, saying Happy Labor Day to me. I don't recall anybody giving me a Labor Day card. Uh, we don't give flowers to our workers. We don't decorate our homes for Labor Day. And we certainly uh, do not uh, give each other gifts on Labor Day either. If there's a traditional Labor Day meal, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's hamburgers and hot dogs at picnics, I don't know. Uh, but we have traditional meals at Thanksgiving, usually turkey and gravy and all the, all the trimmings. And we normally at Christmas time have a traditional meal, be it ham or whatever. But what is the traditional Labor Day meal? I don't know what it is unless it's hamburgers and hot dogs. Even the florist and the greeting card uh, industry has, have not yet learned to capitalize on this thing called Labor Day. Of course, it's a boon for resorts and for tourist centers, but it's a bad weekend for the church uh, because everybody's either to the tourist or at the beach or up in the mountains. Now, Labor Day, attendance is up or down. They're either up at the mountains or down at the beach. We know how that goes. It's the last summer hurrah. We know that it's the summer, it's a time where it's the last summer hurrah where all the holidays of the summer and spring are over. And now we're gearing up for Halloween and gearing up for Thanksgiving, gearing up for Christmas celebration and the New Year as well. It's a strange holiday in many respects, yet we like to celebrate it in our very own unique way. Like most things, Labor Day means different things to different people. To the teacher, to the factory worker, it may be a day off. The banks will be closed tomorrow. Your mail will not run tomorrow. Mine didn't run Friday, I don't know about yours, so maybe they get two days off, I don't know. Uh, but even telemarketers may have the day off. But for mothers, it's back on the job 24-7. Uh, for the policemen, they're gonna be working tomorrow, probably overtime, uh, due to drunk drivers potentially upon the road, uh, fights and skirmishes that break out because there's too much drinking at parties, and the list goes on and on. For farmers and ranchers, and especially for milk farmers, they're still going to have to milk uh, two times a day, and uh, the, the, the hay is going to have to be brought in, and the crops are going to have to be looked upon. And we also know that traffic controllers, air traffic controllers, and airline pilots, they're going to be working probably overtime in the crowded skies. The beaches are going to be packed. The cabins are going to be full. And tomorrow the roads are going to be extremely congested. But Labor Day is officially on Monday, September the 5th. That will be tomorrow. Labor Day pays tribute to the contributions and the achievements of American workers and traditionally observed on the first Monday in the month of September. It was created by the labor movement in the late 19th century and became a federal holiday uh, in 1894. Labor Day weekend symbolizes the end of summer for many Americans. We celebrate with parties and picnics and normally it's the kickoff to the football season for yet another year. Why do we celebrate Labor Day? Of all things to celebrate, Labor. Why do we celebrate Labor Day? Labor Day is an annual celebration of workers and their achievements originated during one of America's labor history's most dismal chapters. In the late 1800s, uh, at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the United States, the average American worked 12 hour days, seven days a week, just to put food on the table. 
desperate restrictions in some states, children as young as five and six years of age did as much work as the adults, and yet they did not even see, no, even clear anywhere near the same kind of money that the adults cleared during that particular time. People of all ages, especially among the poor, among many of the immigrants, they often faced unsafe working conditions. Uh, they, were, they, they had insufficient access to uh, fresh air, sanitary facilities, uh, and breaks. As manufacturing industry began to increase, as the agriculture began to decrease within this country, uh, there was a lot of uh, people working under some ungodly uh, working conditions. So labor unions were formed. And they first appeared in the 18th century. They grew more prominent and they grew more vocal as time went on. They began organizing strikes. They began to organize rallies to protest uh, the poor working conditions and the poor pay among them. And they renegotiated their hours. They renegotiated the pay uh, that they had as well. In the wake of this massive unrest and attempt to repair uh, the ties with the American workers, Congress passed an act making Labor Day a legal holiday in the District of Columbia and its territory. So on June of the 28, 1894, President Grover Cleveland signed into law. More than a century later, the founder of Labor Day, we still don't know who that person was. We don't know who the founder was, but we know why it was founded. With that being said, if you have a day off tomorrow, Happy Labor Day. Merry Labor Day. I don't know what to say, but enjoy the day. Be safe with your family. Be safe with your friends. And enjoy each other while you can. Hopefully, you will have the day off tomorrow. Now, one of the problems that I see in America, in our country, at least in my opinion, observation, is that there are many, many people that want a paycheck, but there are too many that do not want to work for the paycheck. With that being said today, brothers and sisters, we see this in our government. Uh, we see this propagated by our government. We see this in advertisements on our television screen. You deserve more, you deserve more, but you need to work less and less and less. Rewards without pay, pay without work, uh, getting, getting, getting without working at all. That's not right, and secondly, it's not even biblical. I'm here to tell you tonight that manual labor is not the president of Mexico. And I know that there are many people would starve to death if they put their food stamps underneath their work boots. There's something about work that brings dignity uh, to a person. There's something about work uh, that makes a man or a woman feel good. It makes us feel good that we've accomplished something, that God gives us ability, God gives us talent, God gives us a job to not just to perform, but something that will fulfill uh, the inner need that's within mankind. As a matter of fact, the word work is mentioned around 689 times in the Word of God. God worked on six days, and the seventh day, the Bible said, He rested. Some people think that work is the curse that was placed upon man uh, because of sin, but that is not the case at all. God always intended humanity to work. But the curse because of sin was that he would work by the sweat of his brow. There would be thorns and briars and thistles uh, that would inhibit uh, the way that the man could work and get it done. But I remind you again tonight, brothers and sisters, uh, that God endorsed work. He worked. Men of the Old Testament worked. Men of the New Testament worked. And people throughout the history of this world to make our nation what it is today is because somebody rolled up their sleeve and they had skin in the game and they used their talent uh, to accomplish great things for our nation. Work, good, honest work has always been a part of God's plan for humanity. There's fulfillment in doing good work. 
There's fulfillment in doing honest work. And there is fulfillment in knowing that the job that you've done, you've done for the glory of God, even though you may have done it for your employer, you may have done it for somebody else. Do whatever you do by work for the glory of God. And I believe if you do what you love, it'll never be work. It'll be something that God rewards you for because you're in the right place in God's timing doing what he's asked of us to do. There's fulfillment in doing good work. There is a purpose in the work that we do. As a matter of fact, it gives a man dignity. It gives a man fulfillment. And thank God it gives us a purpose in life. Have you ever been laid off? How did that make you feel? Have you ever been where you didn't have a job? How did that make you feel? I didn't make us feel good as people. I went through a 10-month sabbatical, and I didn't, <coughs> I didn't know why. But during that time, I was vacuuming linoleum. I was watering artificial flowers. I had to have something to do. And I believe, friend, there's something in us that says we must work and accomplish the purpose of God. The Apostle Paul said, For even when we were, when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if a man does not work, neither should he eat. I get a lot of people throughout the years that I pastor churches, they come knocking on the door and they call me up and I, my heart breaks many, many times because there's a lot of needy people, so don't misunderstand me. But nine times out of 10, the people that come knocking on the door want for a handout at church are people who are too lazy to work. And many of them, not all, and don't you get mad at me, I'm just telling you from experience, many of them want a handout, not a hand up. A man came one time and knocked on my door at the office uh, when I pastored in Carolina, and I can give you stories from every church I've ever pastored in the last 43 years. A man came knocking on my door. He said, I'm hungry. Can you feed me? I said, well, I'd be glad to. What do you need? I need a place to live. I need a job. I said, just your lucky day. I've got that for you. And man, he like, he, 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 he what? Oh, no, 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 no. I just need something. I said, wait a minute. You said you needed a job? I've got you one. A place to live? I've got you one. What is it? I said, well, I said, uh, this apartment complex needs a handyman. You do a little sweeping. Uh, you clean out the laundry mat. It's simple things to do. And they will give you a studio, a studio apartment as part of your pay. I just don't think I can do that. Why? I, I, I just can't. Well, you wanted to work. Well, I just give me something to say. I'm not feeding you. You mean you won't feed me? I said, no. If you don't work, you don't eat. Well, pastor, you should have fed him. He should have took the job. I've heard people, you know what we do here? If somebody comes knocking on the door, I don't care if it's a deacon, if it's my wife, or it's me, or it's you. You come asking for help, we're going to give you a five-page application. You're going to fill that bad boy out. We're going to take that to a committee. We're going to do all the homework on it. And then if we believe you passed the test, we'll help you if we have the money. We've had to do that through the years, to be good stewards with what God has asked us to do. There's a lot of people out there that think churches have deep pockets, and they'll call up, can you pay my electric bill? They're going to cut my electric off tonight. How long have you known this? Oh, a month. Why are you calling me now? Oh, I didn't know. Well, lack of preparation on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on mine. Is that too hard? I think, brothers and sisters, we've got to understand, we want to empower people to get out of their problem, not to keep them in. I've asked people through the years, if we help you today, what are you going to do next week? If we pay your mortgage tonight, what are you going to do next month? It's just kicking the proverbial can down the road. So please don't get mad at me. I believe in helping people, and we've helped as a church, and my wife and I have helped of individuals throughout our life as a, as a married couple. But what I'm saying, friends, we've got to help people to get out of their problems. But today it is a mentality in American culture uh, too many times that we deserve a handout. 
We want to give me, give me, give me. It's a give me an entitlement mentality that we have in our country today. The Bible is not against work, praise God. The Apostle Paul said, Now that he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. He also said, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the things which is good that, me ha that he may have to give to him that needeth. The Bible is not against work, quite the contrary. Hard work brought this country to where it is today. The, the Bible admonishes us to work hard and then we reap from the labors that we have done. This entitlement generation, give me attitude, is not scriptural. And I believe, brothers and sisters, it is further disabling this country from what it one time was. We cannot keep giving and giving and giving without putting something back in the culprit and putting back and putting back. If we just keep taking and taking and taking, why are you thinking we are trillions of dollars in debt today? And yet we're crying out, let's just give more away. I don't believe that to be the biblical standard. Hard work has brought our country to where it's at today. Our ablest brains came together. They forged this virgin land to become one of the greatest nations that the world has ever known. With God's help, with God's guidance, with God's assistance, with God's direction, we have become a very, very prosperous people. And yet many times we have taken the blessings of God in American culture and we have forgotten about the God who has given us all of those blessings. We have become more in love with the gifts that God has helped us to obtain than we are in love with the God who give us the gifts to begin with. Uh, we've, we have the finest colleges in the world. Uh, we're second to none when it comes uh, to technology and the medical profession. Uh, we today uh, also uh, are a group of people with the greatest form of government the world has to offer. We have the cleanest water. We have the best of clothing. We have the best of housing of anywhere in the world. Our grocery store shelves are usually packed full about anything you want. It's not just going to get a box of cereal. Uh, there are three and four rows of cereal now from other color, every box, you name it, it's there. When I was a kid, you got cornflakes or you got Cheerios or you got that cardboard stuff in the box. I forget what they call it with a little bit of milk it salted it up. Uh, but that's all you had. But today, friend, you go, it's anything you want. We have been blessed and we have been spoiled in the process. I have car lots that are full with any size car you want that'll fit about any budget that you want and have all the uh, amenities on it that the life can think about. And here, there's an abundance about anything an individual could ask for, and yet too many of us complain and we criticize in America because we have to work to get it. Say amen, preacher. Amen. You don't say it, don't unless you mean it. I challenge you to go to any other country. I've traveled a lot. And I've gone to countries where they're so poor. I've gone to countries where there's not been clean water. When I go to Africa this day, I cannot eat the fruit off the tree. It has to be bleached before it can be eaten. I've gone to where the grocery stores, if they call them grocery stores, barrel shelving. I've gone to hospitals where missionaries say, if I get sick, for God's sake, let me die, but don't send me to the hospital, because if I go, I will die for sure once I get there. We've been a blessed nation, but I'm concerned about our future. Amen. A missionary in Haiti brought a local pastor from Haiti back to America. And he saw all the beautiful things that we have in America. 
But you know what impressed that Haitian pastor more than anything else? The size of our trash cans. He says, you all give, you throw away more stuff than what we've ever seen in our life. I say we have indeed been a blessed nation from the Almighty God. But our entitlement mentality has made many lazy, many ungrateful, and many hardened in many aspects. Hard labor has brought America to where it's at today, and God has blessed our labor and our acknowledgement of Him by trusting Him, being led by Him, and the list goes on and on. However, I am deeply concerned that we're losing our dedicated workforce in America. I'm also convinced we're losing our way with God working in the affairs of mankind, be it government, be it politics, be it entertainment, education, business, and in some respects, we're losing ground. Many churches, the church that he himself has formed that we're part of even today. We could ask the question this evening, what is the hardest labor known to man? What is the hardest labor known to man? If we were to ask the Israelites in Egypt, they would say the hardest labor that you could ever think of is working in the flesh pots of Egypt in that dry, humid, airless desert making brick where the straw was hard to find, where the place was hot and where we were forced, that was labor. I'm sure if you would ask the slaves in the cotton fields of the South in yesteryears, they'd probably tell you nobody's ever labored under the conditions that we've labored under. Perhaps today, if you were to ask children and the adults that worked in the sweatshops in America in the 1800s, and then also in Latin America and Asia during the last few hundred years, they'd probably tell you that you've never labored under any type of ungodly conditions like they have. And maybe you're sitting here tonight thinking, man, you don't know where I work. You, you don't know my boss. Let me talk about hard labor. I'll talk to you about that. What's the hardest labor known to man? I pray that our country does not go the way of other nations have gone. We were founded on and grew because hard work and dedicated workers, by and large, you had a fear of God. With God's blessings, with God's favor, with God's guidance, we have prospered to become one of the greatest nations in the world, even with all of our problems that we face today. People by the thousands are trying to get into this country, and they come because they want a piece of the American pie. They want a piece of the American dream. Ours is the only nation in the world that I know that we have to put up barriers to keep people out because they want to come because they have known and seen the greatness of this nation of ours. Many are willing to work as they come into this country illegally. It doesn't matter whether they're sweeping floors or whether they're on a roof or changing it in the hot sun or whether they're out in the fields picking berries. They just want a job because where they come from, there is very little known as jobs that will give pay. Friends, we are a blessed nation. We are a blessed people. I don't need to tell you that I'm speaking to the choir tonight. But there are more jobs than there are people today to fill them. And people want a paycheck, but many simply do not want to work in order to get that paycheck. What's the hardest labor known to man? My, to my knowledge, the word labor is mentioned 128 times in the Bible. And it's used in the context of work and also in the context of childbearing. 
I've also said earlier that work is mentioned 689 times in the Bible. What's the hardest work known to man? Something we talk about often and usually ignore, and that's prayer. I believe that prayer is probably some of the hardest work that we will ever do. Prayer and work, Pastor? You mean that? Yeah, I mean that. I'm open to be taught. I know that prayer is communion with God. I know that prayer is fellowship with God. But I tell you what, when Jesus Christ prayed, he sweat as if though it were drops of blood. That tells me he was working in prayer. That tells me he was agonizing in prayer. That tells me that it was not just knocking down on one knee and mumbling a few words in the presence of God and getting victory. He had to pray his prayer through all the opposition that hell could hover over him. And today when you and I pray, if we're not careful, we'll just give God lip service. We'll say, bless our three and no more. We'll say, God, give me this and God, give me that. But when we get down to pray where our knees are on a camel knees and when we are praying our prayers through all of the opposition of hell itself, then we will know that labor is prayer and prayer is labor. Have you ever prayed to where your heart, you thought your heart was going to break? Have you ever been in a condition or position to pray where you thought, God, if you don't come and answer this, I'm going to die? Have you ever been under such intense prayer burden that as you were praying, uh, you didn't know what to pray, but the Holy Ghost just took over and you began to pray in the Holy Spirit? I'm talking about a labor friend that many nominal Christians know a little about tonight when it talks about praying and laboring, travailing. The Bible said when Zion travails, then sons and daughters will be birthed into the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to travail? I was with my wife in the childbirth, birthing of both of our children. I know a little bit about travail because I watched it. But you that have had babies, you know a whole lot about travail because you birthed it. I remember the agony. I remember the, I, I, if, if I die tomorrow, I'll never forget the intensity of my wife's face having two babies. I remember the travailing. I remember the shaking. I remember the pain. I remember the agony. I remember the work. That's why they call it labor. And when we labor in prayer, when we get down to business with God, that will be hard work. The hardest work known to man is labor. Don't take off tomorrow from the prayer closet. Prayer is perhaps the hardest labor known to man. We don't get paid for prayer, but the dividends are out of this world. We don't punch a time clock when we start. We don't punch a time clock when we finish. But no time spent in the presence of God is ever wasted. Men in the Old Testament prayed. Women in the Old Testament prayed. Some prayed and their lips never moved, but God heard. Men and women in the New Testament prayed. Jesus prayed, and God knows if Jesus Christ had to pray for his ministry upon this earth, how much more should the church pray in this hour in which we're living today? Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He withdrew from the busy work that he had to do to do the greater work that he had to do, and that was spend time with God. Let me tell you something. Sometimes we are so busy working for the Lord that we fail to spend time with the Lord. And therefore the work we're trying to accomplish for the Lord is null and void because we have nothing on it when we get there. Years ago, I went to the hospital up in Virginia as an associate pastor. And I was spent, I was wore out. And I was pulling in the parking lot and it's like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, what are you doing? I said, we're in the hospital. What for? I'm visiting so-and-so. And it's like the Spirit of God said, but what do you have to take to him? And I said, nothing. 
I'm spent, I'm empty. I've not taken the time to recharge myself in the presence of God. When Jesus called the disciples, he called them that they might be with him, that they might preach the word, and they might cast out the demons. One of those things we would do with him on earth and in heaven, and two of those things we'll only do with him on earth. We will be with him here, and we'll be with him there. But yet we devote all of our time to doing the work for him. But that's going to end one day, and we'll still be with him. God has called us to be with him in all things. Jesus needed to pray, how much more do we? Signs and wonders followed the ministry that Jesus Christ had. People were healed. Demons were cast out. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Demons were cast out. Blind eyes were opened. Death ears began to work. Dead people came out of their graves. And not only did it happen to Jesus in his ministry, it did happen in the early church. My question is, where's the disconnect today? Do not misunderstand me. We are not working for God to do something. We are working in prayer. Does that make sense? Please don't misunderstand. We don't work our way for God to do something to us and for us. Everything God does is a gift. But what he wants us to do is we have got sometimes to pray through the opposition of darkness. We know where Satan's seed is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rules of darkness and spiritual weakness in high places. Satan has headquartered in the heavenlies, if you will. And you don't get on your knees and mumble a few words and get victory with God. It was Daniel, a man of prayer, who, who focused toward uh, 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 Jerusalem uh, three times a day. And yet when he prayed, uh, what the Bible say? That there was an angel that came and said, God heard your prayer the first day, but it took 21 days to answer because there was a battle in the heavenlies. Had he given up, he would have never gotten the answer. It takes laboring in prayer to continue going before the presence of the Almighty God. Not only did it happen for Jesus, it happened in the early church. And thank God signs and wonders and miracles are still happening all around the world where people are laboring in prayer and taking the Lord at his word to do great exploits for him. But like many Americans, we want the benefits of answer prayer without spending the time in prayer. Like many Americans, we want the paycheck without doing the work. We merit nothing from God by our works but he wants us to fellowship with him by prayer. He wants to bless us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to enable us. He wants to empower us. He wants to supply our every need. But many times we want the blessing without spending time in the presence of the blesser. I'm gonna ask this tonight, and I want you to be honest with me. How many of us in this room find it more difficult to pray today than ever before? I said, how many of us in this room find it more difficult to pray today than ever before? More difficult. Why is that? I don't necessarily have the answer. Am I lazy? Maybe. Am I too busy? Maybe. Can I not find the time? Oh, we tell ourselves that, but that's a big lie. We lie to ourselves. It's a matter of fact of saying, God, sometimes 
we don't need anything because we've been so blessed. And it's only when trials and tests and sickness and death and prodigals and life dumps a load on us of misery that we get down with God and begin to cry out for him to intervene on behalf of our need for that season of our life. But if somehow, if we as Christians can come to the place where we realize that prayer is not the last ditch effort that we do, but prayer is a way we live. Amen. It's not just thanking the Lord for the food at dinner time, but it's having a, a meeting place with God every day, whether it be morning, noon, or night, or all three, or one of the above. Have a place where you meet with God. Have a specific time where you commune with God. Because you see, we are winning our victory for tomorrow today. When Paul and Silas were in prison, they did not win their victory at midnight. They won their victory days and days and days prior to that midnight experience because they went into the prison already prayed up. They went into the prison already with the knowledge of God. They went into the presence of the prison already with an anointing upon them. And yet too many times, we're like people in American workforce. They have more month than they have money. And therefore they say, what do we do? What do we do? Give me a handout, give me a handout. And aren't we sometimes doing God the same way? We've not spent time with you, Lord. We've been too busy working for you, whatever. And then here comes the tragedy. Here comes the problem. Here comes the upheaval. And thank God in his mercy, he still hears us. He still communes with us, and he still gives us the grace. But oh, that we could go into that problem already prayed up. If we could go into that dilemma already prayed up. If we could go in that sickness or through that death already prayed up. Hallelujah. It's a sight what the Lord can do. Now the text said, I guess tonight if my text had the measles, my sermon probably never would have caught it because we didn't get close together, did we? Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Which tells me that there can be a prayer on our lips every day at all times. We have these wonderful things called cell phones today. It's one of those things you love to hate. Can I just say this? For God's sake, don't text in your car. It is not a telephone booth. It's a car. And today, going down the road, this guy, I'm in a hurry, and this guy in a 40 mile an hour, 50 mile an hour zone, 35. It's not a telephone booth, it's a car, okay? Let's drive. These cell phones are amazing. We can connect with people all around the world without going into a phone booth or going into a house or an office. We can pick up and down, boom, there we are. Prayer is the same way. We don't have to pray just at church. We don't have to pray just in our house or just in our office or just underneath the oak tree. Thank you. Amen. Did you hear what he said? That's my next point. We just need to pray. Any place, any time, God's ears are open. Church, I'm speaking tonight to the cream of the crop, talking to the choir. But that's labor for the Lord in prayer and ministry. I've stressed it many, many times. I just read a book talking about the blood of Jesus. Plead the blood of Jesus Christ in your prayer life. 
over your family, your friends, your loved ones, your business, your church. Pray like you've never prayed before for the salvation of our lost family and our lost friends. Let's pray for the healing of the sick and the afflicted. I think sometimes we allow our experiences to dictate how we're going to pray. Well, I prayed and nobody got healed. Hang it. We're praying from the book. Pray for healing for the afflicted to be healed. Let's pray for revival for this church. I, I think God is about to do something. I feel like we've always been on the precipice of something. And maybe just one more prayer. Just one more praise. You, you, have you ever taken a cup and filled it up with water all the way to the brim? Just filled it up with water to it's right here. Have you ever watched the level of that water rise above the brim without coming out? You ever, you ever done that? If you just keep adding one drop at a time, that water level will rise above the brim, and it is the gravity and the tension that keeps it in the truck, in the cup. If you add one more drop, it may rise. But one, what is the difference between the cup full and the cup running over? What drop is it that'll make the difference of a cup containing the water and a cup running over? What's the difference? What was that one last drop that went in the cup that brought about the Wesleyan revival? What was that one final drop that brought about the Great Reformation? What was that one final drop that went into the cup of Azusa Street? And what will be that one final drop that goes in the cup of New Life Assembly of God that is the difference between water contained and water running over? It could be the next prayer you pray. It could be the next praise song that we sing. It could be the next fasting that we could do. It could be the next moving of the gift of the Holy Spirit operating that could change everything. That's why it's important, friend, that we don't let the cup come down here with water, but we want to keep it up here at the saturating point because one drop will make all the difference in the world. And you could be the catalyst to bring that revival to this church. Let's pray for the touch of God upon our lives. Let's pray for Sparrow Academy. I want to tell you something, beloved. There's about 70 students over there that have come from some pretty rough homes. And for those that don't know, this is a school for behavior problem and disciplinary problem children. Many have been kicked out of every school in the county. And some of their sweet kids. But some of the history that they have and the things that their little eyes have already experienced by the time they're seven and eight years of age, it has changed their lives forever. It's a healing institution over there. Pray for our teachers. Pray for the students. Pray for the families. Many are foster kids. There was one child by the time of seven years old was in 20-some different foster homes. The anger, the bitterness, the hatred. We've got a mission field next door. Pray for the ministry and staff of this church. Pray for unity among the brethren. And for God's sake, let's offer grace and mercy to each other.